Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America, where each episode we bring you a fresh and insightful interview with one of the film industry's top directors, conducted by one of their peers. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Google Play Music, iTunes, Stitcher, or on our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash the director's cut. And if you're enjoying the director's cut, please take a moment to like, share, or comment. We love hearing your feedback. This episode takes us behind the scenes of director Noah Baumbach's new film, The Meyerowitz Stories, New and Selected. Starring Adam Sandler, Ben Stiller, and Elizabeth Marvel, the film tells the emotional tale of three adult siblings who converge in New York to attend an event dedicated to their strong-willed artist father. While there, they must deal with both his fading legacy and the long shadow he has cast over their lives. In addition to the Meyerowitz stories new and selected, Mr. Bombuck's credits include the feature films Mistress America, While We're Young, Francis Ha, Margot at the Wedding, The Squid and the Whale, and Kicking and Screaming. Following a recent screening at the DGA Theater in New York, Mr. Bombach spoke with director Brian De Palma about the filming of the Meyerowitz stories. During their conversation, Mr. Bombach discusses how the title of the film helped him to consider its structure and organization, the movies that really connected with him as a teenager, and the personal nature of the films he's directed. We were here for uh... Uh, my friend uh, Jake Paltrow and I did a documentary about Brian, and we had a premiere here, right? right. Yeah, so it's nice to be back. Okay, here we go. Let's go over the titles. Did you choose the titles for your films? The titles meaning... Well, the the title of the film. I chose the title of the film. Okay, yeah, let's yeah, start yeah. with. Uh, Why did I choose it? Let's let's go through them. I'll go through all my titles. Yes, okay. yes, yes, yes. We have kicking and screaming. screaming. Yes. And now, how did you get that idea for? A well, title? it was originally called Fifth Year. That movie. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Uh, meaning the fifth year of college, because it was you know and. I was told by the company that financed it that it was not commercial. Um, so I then one day when I was scouting locations, I had the, the expression kicking and screaming came into my head. It seemed maybe that would be good. I didn't have the foresight to know that Will Ferrell would do a soccer movie with the same title. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, I might have thought again about it or pushed for fifth year. Um, so that's that one. Um, the second one was called Mr. Jealousy. That was the only title that one had. Um, then The Squid and the Whale. I was also told not to call that movie that because it would sound like it was animated. And why was it called The Squid and the Whale? Because of the, uh, the uh, Natural History Museum exhibit. There's that, an exhibit with a squid and a whale? Yes, that and features in the movie, yes. And you yes. see it in the movie? You see it at the very end of the movie, and he ta tells a story about it. Okay. Then onward. onward. The next one is Margot at the Wedding, which for a long time was was actually called Nicole in the Country when I wrote it, and then I cast Nicole Kidman, so I changed her name to Margot, and then I had to come up with a new title. It took a while, 
I think I came up with the name in post, actually. Uh -huh. It was untitled Noah Baumbach Project for a long time. Um, then uh, the next one was uh, Greenberg. It's the name of Ben Stiller's character of that in the, that movie. And it was always Greenberg. It was always Greenberg. And that one I was thinking like about like sort of like novels in the 70s, like Philip Roth type novels, they were, or, or Saul Bellow, like Herzog or Zuckerman, you know, I sort of had, so that was that, that one. Then um, Francis Ha, it's her name, yep, yep. And ending? Yes, the ending explains the title. Um, that was a good moment, was I saw that movie the first time at the Telluride Film Festival, and it got a gasp at the end, and I didn't see that coming, and I was very proud of that. Um, Mistress of America, I guess this, or While We're Young and Mistress America, which were shot in different order than they came out. Um, and that brings us up to date, right? The Meyerowitz story, or De Palma, yeah. yes. Um, which reasons. was named after the director, yeah. Um, and the Meyerowitz story is new and selected, yeah. Was? Was the title, of, was, and, yeah. And how did you come up with it? Well, I thought that when I was working on it, I think that to think of it as a collection of stories somehow helped me write it, to sort of think of it. I think, in retrospect, I think partly to think about what, how I was going to organize it with the brothers being separated, you know, not being in the same movie. Also, because I knew I was working with that uh, Sandler and Ben Stiller, that that in some ways I was keeping them out of the movie together, that there was something that seemed interesting about that to, to sort of hold that. And then also, um, I, I think it also like, in a way the movie, the structure of the movie helped, I think I saw it as like stuff that was omitted was, was equally important in a way, like that you know you don't see Harold go into the hospital, you don't see, um, you know, there's things you don't see, there's things that you are referred to that come that that just helped me kind of understand what would be in the movie, if that makes sense. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. <laughs> Thank now you for doing this. <laughs> now, did you ever have a uh, vertigo moment? A what? Vertigo moment? Yeah. Um, in that there was a movie that kind of made me want to make movies or made me sort of see movies. Um, Steve Martin and the Jerk. <laughs> yes, you keep on referring to that, and um, I'm trying to get my head around it. I don't know if that would be it. I think uh, E.T. was a big movie for me as a kid. Um, the first, Ro the Robin Hood, the Errol Flynn Robin Hood uh, was a movie that really meant a lot to me as a kid, The Wizard of Oz also. Um, I think wanting to, this sort of what you, I think what you, the vertigo moment maybe for me was more in college was Jules and Jim. Right. Yeah. Was the, seeing something that had not, maybe that if, that I knew that if I'd seen it, even a year earlier, I would not have had the same reaction. It was like the right time to be seeing that movie. I was ready for it. And Goodfellas was in theaters at the same time, and I had seen that and loved it. And 
I saw when I saw Jules and Jim, I was like, this is he's doing a version. I mean, a lot of Goodfellas felt like that movie. I later read an interview with him where he talked about that, but I felt like I saw it and I felt like I thought like there's so much about movies that in this movie that I want to do, you know, that made me want to go make them. Now, did you do, did you make shorts when you were in your teens? I made stuff on, you know, I was sort of a teenager when like VHS came into to the world and these sort of like high eight videos and so I got one of those cameras and I would make movies in the summers with my friends and I would edit them on two VCRs. Right. With the rainbow between cuts, you know, because um, I actually destroyed a VCR, one of the VCRs burnt out because in the, in the, it was too much for them to do that. But um, I did that and then I made like some shorts in, in college uh, that were like silent. Well, were you writing like two character scenes, uh, stuff that evolved into the features that you made? You mean the real, the movies I made later or? Yeah. I, it was more the stuff that felt more like what I would later do was stuff I did in college, I did plays. Because right. I could, I, 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 I didn't, the technology, or at least the film department at Vassar where I went, didn't, they didn't have, I think if you were a film major, you could make a sound film by your senior year. And I wrote, I found dialogue was so exciting to me and something I felt like I really had a, something I did well naturally. And so it was hard for me not to, um, to, 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 to wanna do something that, that, you know, that had a lot of dialogue. And, and so the, I, I, doing theater was my way of Did you do like that. two character plays? Yeah, I did, or, yeah, or a few character plays. I did like, I mean, I did little plays, I did plays. Um, but I didn't have like a real theater sense. I, they were really just movie ideas in plays. I'd seen some plays that I loved in, in you know, as a teenager, like I saw Fool for Love with, um, I, saw, I think I saw Will Patton in it, and and uh, I loved that. And I, you know, I saw some David Mann, I saw, I think, Speed the Plow, and I saw, I, I didn't see a lot of theater, because my parents, we, we lived in Brooklyn, and we didn't, I mean, not that this that far, but I, we didn't, like, go to the theater so much. We went to a lot of movies. But when I did see theater that connected with me, um, it was exciting, so I sort of was drawing on that a little bit, but I, I knew I didn't really know how to stage theater, or I didn't see it in an instinctual way, yeah. How did we meet? You and I met at, um, I think it was Paul Schrader's birthday party. Um, was it 50? I mean. Who remembers? Um, uh, and, I came up to you, I, I had a few drinks and I um, got the courage to go talk to you. And I remember I sort of just sort of started telling you all the movies I liked of yours. And I remember you saying, cause I said, get to know your rabbit, which is your, <laughs> your first first movie. And you said, get to know your rabbit. Like, you know, <laughs> like why are you picking that one? Um, and, and then, uh, and then you, um, I think you uh, we exchanged numbers and you and you called me the next day and said you should send me your movie and 
uh, or you watched my movie, I think, which was kicking and screaming at the time, and then and then I sent you my new script. Right. And I believe you offered me a part. I did. I offered you part of a therapist, and you said no. And um, <laughs> but you said, don't worry, I turn everybody down. I turned Woody Allen down, so I felt in good company. What's good now? When you made Mr. Jealousy, this was not a successful picture. <laughs> um, no, in a lot of ways it wasn't. But it was, um, you know, I was, uh, I think I was 27 or something. I mean, it's, it was crazy to be thinking I'd be making my second movie at 27. But I, I think um, it was, you know, I, I hadn't fully learned how to do it yet. And I, I mean, and I don't just mean make shoot movies i meant i mean like even produce them and find the right collaborators and you know i think that and you had had a very successful uh debut well my first movie yeah was you know kicking and screaming it had had a nice reception and been was at it the, the new, new york, york film festival yeah which was great i mean which kind of rescued it it would have i think gone straight to video if if um if they hadn't taken it what did you learn when your picture bombed? I think retrospectively, at the time, I thought just, you know, I was just, you know, I was angry about it and thought it deserved better. In retrospect, I went into a period of figuring out, I knew I still wanted to make movies, but I think I needed to figure out who I was as a grown-up, as a filmmaker. I think I made movies so young that I was still kind of like doing the movies I thought I might make as a kid. And so it really was the process of me writing Squid and the Whale and, and ultimately making that movie, which was, I mean, quite, it was, you know, really like seven years right. later, which was a hard seven years. In retrospect, it's a good story, but at the time it was painful. Do you start with uh, just a series of scenes, or do you have some visual image for a movie? Um, it depends. I think, you know, I know from you, you often have a visual that kind of helps you unlock other things. Um, you know, with, with Margot at the wedding, I had a visual. I had a mother and a kid on a train. That was the thing that I thought um, with... Squid and the Whale? Squid and the Whale, I had characters, I think, more. Um, but with Squid and the Whale, I wrote it, initially I was writing older, I was writing adult siblings, and that's, you know, what went away and came back in another form as Meyerowitz. Um, with Meyerowitz, I was thinking of, I mean, the hospital was a big part of, I mean, it's 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 a, only a section of the movie, but it was a lot of what the, the the sort of the feeling of the hospital. Maybe it wasn't like a visual image so much as like a specific image, but it was being this this sort of personal and institutional clash that happens in hospitals, and and I felt like I hadn't seen that quite in a movie. Um, Frances had visuals. Frances, part of it was her running, which is, you know, a section of the movie. 
Um, so it, it, it varies. I think, though, going back to your other thing, the structure of this structure also in Francis and in this movie was a big part of it. Were you ever affected by a generation of filmmakers, like the filmmakers of the 70s or the French New Wave? Yes, very much so. I mean, I think when I discovered the French New Wave, I felt very, that was very exciting for me, although not all of them were is immediately accessible. I mean, Truffaut was immediately accessible. I think there's something, you know, about, I mean, The 400 Blows is just is just an accessible movie. Jules and Jim is an accessible movie um, for when I went, for me anyway, when I was in college. I think, um, like Romer, it took me to probably 10 years later to kind of really understand those movies. And then I loved them as much as I love anything. Same thing with Bergman. I didn't quite get in college, even though I know maybe Bergman is sort of a college fine for a lot of people. It wasn't for me. I didn't quite understand why, you know, I think something about the sort of Scandinavian thing, I, I it just seemed so direct. I didn't quite get it. And now I love it. I love it as much as anything. Um, uh, not that he's new wave, but I'm just thinking about, you know, the, but um, Godard, I still don't quite understand. <laughs> I mean, I like some of them a lot, but I don't understand all of them. Um, you know, Chabrol, I always really loved. I loved all the sort of his thrillers and um, and Louis Malle, I, I, I really like. I um, uh, The 70s filmmakers, you know, I mean, I was a, you know, my formidable movie watching is all the early 80s. It's just my era. So it, that's why I say Steve Martin and the Jerk. That was the first R-rated movie I'd seen. And so that was a big deal because it was an R. And I loved it, and it was so funny. And I really liked, I liked funny actors in movies, and I liked sort of following them, Bill Murray and him and Chevy Chase, and um, and then I started to kind of get into, you know, like when I saw The Untouchables or I saw um, After Hours, and you know the movies, your generation's movies, but in the '80s. I later went back and saw the '70s movies and loved those, you know, and got really into those, but I think I was, you know, you know, it's like everybody's bond is the bond of their time, you know, and that was, you know, for me, it was like the movies of that time, the same thing with like musicians, you know, I'm like buying like the bad Rolling Stones record from the 80s because that's the one I have, you know, and it's meaningful, me, meaningful to me even now because it, you know, it connects me to that time and I was excited about it then. Um, even though I know, you know, Let It Bleed is a better record than, you know, Dirty Work. But, um, but you know, you were making great movies in the 80s, and so was Scorsese. I mean, it was sort of, you know, it was, it was exciting, too. And Woody Allen, I mean, I saw Broadway Danny Rose at The New Yorker and, uh, you know, uh, Zelig. And, you know, there, there was just some really exciting things then. And, you know, and then also I was seeing things like The Road Warrior and 48 Hours and, you know, it was just all of that. It's like all of those movies of, of that, my childhood, the same way I know things for you, you know, are, even if other people don't see it, I see it all over all my movies. When you saw these movies, did you go with a bunch of friends or? A lot of times my parents, my parents, because my parents were both critics. So 
at different times. So my father was a critic at the end of the 70s and the early 80s, so he would, that was also exciting for a kid. I got to see movies before they came out, which also made you want to like them more because that you, they hadn't come out yet. Um, and you know, some of them were obvious. They were like, I got to see E.T. before it came out, or the next, I saw Empire Strikes Back before it came, you know, those, that was like, you know, it just got you credibility at school for a few weeks until it actually came out, and then it was like everybody caught up to you. Um, uh, but, so I would go with them, and I think it was a way for my dad and me to bond. You know, we, we, we just went to a lot of movies, um, and things that I was maybe a little too young for, like The Verdict, I remember seeing, but I loved, I kind of really liked it anyway, and, um, and I had all the lobby cards, you know, they give you the things, and um, you know, John Carpenter's The Thing um, was a big one. And now we get to Margo at the wedding. Uh, suddenly you have a, you know, a well-known producer, Scott Rudin. How did that affect the making of the movie? I mean, it didn't, it didn't, I guess. I mean, the, um, I had known Scott through Wes because Wes Anderson had worked with him and I had co-written two movies with Wes. So it wasn't an entirely new relationship, but it was new, you know, in that way. You know, I mean, you know, Scott knew pretty much to leave me alone, but, you know, I, I'm sure it affected things in ways that I'm, you know, certainly that if it hadn't been him, you know, I don't know that I'm even, Totally aware of that, though. Did he help with casting or anything? He always has ideas and you know notes that he would give, um, but uh, and it wasn't you know I mean I, I in my mind I was still doing it the way I would do it you know regardless. What's your attraction to animated features? Well, I, I think I like, I like um, well, when Wes and I wrote Fantastic Mr. Fox, I think we neither of us had ever made or been involved with an animated movie, and I think we didn't even know what it took. Um, and we kind of wrote it like we were writing for adults, but they were knowing they were puppets, you know, and um, I think that's kind of what's nice about the movie in a way. Um, uh, you know, Wes then learned a lot about it, obviously, in the directing process. Then I, you know, kind of met people at DreamWorks and Jeffrey, and when Jeffrey Katzenberg was there and got involved in Madagascar, and, and I like how long it takes. I liked the sort of exacting nature of it that you could kind of, you know, I think Wes likes that too. And it's like that you can, you know, you can really sort of, you know, it, to a degree, try to perfect it, sort of almost like, you know, I mean, so much to what we deal with in live action, which is also the beauty of it, is the sort of uncontrollable part of it. And, you know, at least with animation, there's the, the sort of illusion that you can control it more. Your father said, Noah's joke is that the squid and the whale was me at my worst, Margot was Georgia at her worst, and Greenberg was him at his worst. <laughs> Is that true? N no, um, <laughs> but it was a, that's why it was a joke. But um, but I, th I guess what it gets into is that there is, you know, elements of me, and I really they're all me in a way, and and. Um, 
and not me at all. You know, I mean, it's, you know, it's just that thing. It's like, you know, you get asked it all the time of like, how much of it is autobiographical? What is this? You know, is this, do you know people, you know, uh, you know, my feeling is, you know, I feel like I owe it to what I'm doing to be as open and uncensored as possible and try to be as truthful as I can be, you know, in a way that's entertaining and right for the movie. And, you know, the, the side effect of it is you get asked about how much of it is autobiographical every movie you make. So, um, but, you know, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's all, it, 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 I, I wouldn't do it if it felt exposed in a real way. It feels, I always feel protected by it because of, you know, what I know I'm doing and what I am doing, which is creating, using personal stuff as a bed to create, you know, so let my imagination kind of, you know, you know, trying to give it as much of a chance as possible to, you know, provide me with something. What's the advantage of doing off the radar projects? Well, I think with Francis, I felt like, you know, I, I felt like, you know, part of it was also coming with technology was at a point where I felt like, you know, you know, we could all just be making a movie right now. You know, let's just, you know, if, if we had a movie at a Q&A at, at the DGA, we could probably figure out a way, just someone could be back there with a camera and nobody would have to be bothered by it and we could just sort of do it. Um, and I thought, well, why don't we do that in a way? And, and I had an idea for this movie and I brought it to Greta and we developed it together and we wrote it together and it, felt like it could benefit from having this sort of, I mean, going back to the new wave, almost like an early new wave idea of like, let's run around Paris and do this, but it was New York. And, um, you know, and they did things post-sync, which made it even easier. We, we were like, well, we'll have to record sound. But um, I, you know, it was, it was, a, it was a great experience because I, I got to shoot for a long period of time and I got also, I think it gave me a new, you know, I, it's, it's something, you know, you and I've talked about and you say in our, in our documentary about how you, you know, you've made some very personal movies, you know, that you wrote and directed and you've also done in stuff where you're an interpretive director and you, things like Untouchables and Scarface and things that Mission Impossible that you felt gave you something. It got you out of your own crap and you got to kind of, do something in another way and then you could always come back to yourself and and I felt in a way that's what Francis was for me it was a way to do something that was personal but also felt maybe more interpretive you know and also making it in black and white was that too and making it in a stripped down group it just it was like a first movie I never made and I think it informed everything I did after it I think I kind of you know, I, I don't know, my, my career seems sort of broken up into almost like new first movies, and I think maybe that's a good thing to do every so often. When, uh, while we were young in uh, 2014, were you having a midlife crisis? Well, I think, 
I got divorced around that time or right around the time I was writing it. And I think the movie has, the movie's not about a divorce, but I think it, I think there was something, uh, I don't know why, but I wrote that movie at a low time in my life. And I think, um, uh, you know, and in a way it's like a more overt comedy, um, but it is, um, it does have the sort of undertone maybe of, of you, know, you know, midlife stuff. What was your HBO experience like? Mine was a disaster. Well, mine was too, but not because of HBO. HBO was actually totally great. Um, you know, mine was me, John Franson, and Scott Rudin trying to develop a show based on the corrections for television, you know, and there was at some point we were all sitting in the room talking and it became clear that none of us watched any television. And I think that was probably a sign that we should have, <laughs> we should have just stopped right there and said, you know, let's, uh, you know, it was, it was a weird time. In retrospect, it was a weird time too, because now the way to have done it would have obviously been do an eight hour thing of the book, you know, that's what everyone's doing now. Then there was still this idea that we were making it a show and we were going to do it over four years and we were doing jumping time. It was like everything you don't want to do in a movie. It was like old age makeup, young age makeup, you know, different actors playing the same parts. I mean, what a mess. Um, you know, I think, you know, it's it's a terrific book. I think it's probably unfilmable. And, you know, that was around that time too when I was in a I was in a strange place in my life and I think I kind of wanted just something to occupy me. In retrospect, I think it was mis misguided for me to try it. But I found when I was working with them that you would get notes after notes after notes. Well, we didn't probably even get that far. We, but they, they kind of left us alone, but, um, you know, I don't know. It was just a... Uh, it was just it was just misguided. It was just a misguided thing. Let's talk about divorce. What kind of films come out of it? You go first. What kind of films that I've made come out of it, or the, just? I, I mean, I've made a divorce film too. So, well, I've looked at divorce from. I mean, the Squid and the Whale was divorce more from the kids' perspective. It was more like my thinking about it back then. Um, a witness to a divorce. Yeah, and not understanding it in the At same way. At a young way. age. Yeah, and um, so... It's interesting that the Spielberg documentary is all about the divorce and how it affected his movies. Well, I think E.T. is actually a very good movie about divorce. I mean, it is, it's a very moving movie about divorce in a way. Um, I mean, I think it's partly why, I remember actually I saw E.T. with my father, as I was saying, I saw a screening of it and I didn't know anything about it except that I had a vague idea that I liked Steven Spielberg's movies and at uh, that age. And I mean, I cried so much in the movie that I remember what shirt I was wearing because um, I kept picking it up to put it in my face because I, I could not stop crying. And I remember driving home just like spent and my father started going into this whole thing of like that E.T. in a way was the father figure for Elliot 
you know, that he didn't have. And I didn't actually realize that. I didn't think about it that way. I just was sad about the alien, you know, maybe dying and then leaving. And I just started crying all over again. And then I remember going to school the next day and I said, I saw this amazing movie. I was telling all my friends and then I started telling them and aping my father, which goes to the squid and the whale. I would sort of say what he had told me, which I was like, and really this AT is a father figure you know, in the in, you know the Peter Coyote character later suggested might become, and then I just start crying all over again and sobbing in school. It was just so moving to me, the whole thing in ways that I was both aware of and not aware of. Um, and I think, and I, and that's why that movie is so important to me. Um, I saw it with my son recently too, and um, when it was done, he turned to me and he said, "I cried four times," um, and I knew <laughs> I felt this. I did too, um, uh, but. Anyway, we were talking about divorce, but I mean, I, I, you know, I guess Squid and the Whale was, you know, I was, you know, was I was connecting back to that time, you know, when movies like that were very important to me, and, you know, and also kind of telling, in some ways, I guess, telling the real story of those moments. But you see in the in the Spielberg documentary that he kind of blamed it on his father. And his father got shut out, even though, in fact, his mother had an affair with his father's best friend. In your case, did you side with one uh, parent over another? In real life, um, I mean, it wasn't, I guess, that easy for me. I, In the movie, the older character, who would have been more my... Jesse Eisenberg's character would have been more my kind of surrogate. Um, but I mix stuff up between the two of them. Um, but, you know. It seems to me you showed both points of view. I yeah, mean, well, I think he sides with the dad. Right. But that was more of a narrative idea because I felt like you could, you'd, I'd get more out of the story if he was sort of, you know, siding with the father. Um, uh, you know, which I had some truth in it. And in reality, I think I did, you know, feel, I think it was more my mother's choice. And I felt like, I felt sort of sad for my dad. I wanted him, you know, to be okay. I, I, I was sort of, it wasn't how it was in the movie, but that was, that was part of it. Um, uh, which I think, but then later, I think once it happened, then I was sort of, you know, saw my mom's side again and you know which he does in the documentary too I guess yeah I'm and you also see in that documentary that uh, he uh, as he got older and got divorced himself he had a, a different perception about the whole situation right, right. which which did happens you know when I got divorced as a grown-up I uh, I had you know new different perspective on that time Okay, well, I know all your movies are very carefully scripted, and everybody always asks you, is, or is there improvisation? And you roll your eyes, say no, they right. say the lines, right? which is uh, correct. Then my next question is, do you believe in lightning in the bottle moments? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think it's all about, I, I mean, for me, doing the script is not about taking any spontaneity away, it's about 
I think creating opportunity for it, you know, I mean, it's not, um, you know, it's, it's all about what they're, how they're going to interpret it and how, what the behavior is and, and this kind of live moments that happen on set when we're doing this. For me, it's just like, let's have this, this is, this gives us a foundation so that all this other, you know, as you say, lightning and bottle can happen. Is there an example in uh, Meyerowitz of this happening? I mean, I think it's all over the place. I mean, it's just, it's not, you know, I, I think improvisation gets misinterpreted as sort of this idea of like, oh, well, y you know, it's like, like what happens in life if somebody has a funny one-liner and we all laugh. You know, I'm staging that funny moment right. and creating it, but it's, you know, it's, it's all designed, I mean, it's like, it's like, musical in that way. I mean, it's like, you know, you write music for people to play, you know, when they play it live, something amazing hopefully happens, you know, I mean, that's what it is. It doesn't mean it's going to be, you know, rote that they're just playing the thing. The thing is the live music is the thing. And that's what I'm trying to do in the movies. But do you rehearse the actor so that you see that your ideas are working? Or maybe you have to change things? before you get on the stage and shoot it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I rehearse them so I can hear it, so they can hear it, so we all hear what it is. So we all know what we're trying to do. And in that way, it is, I mean, musical is the best way to describe it because it is like... Like a score. Like a score, like you hear, when you hear it, you're like, no, that's, there it is, that's it. And when it's off, when one instrument's off or a thing, you know, then it, you feel it, you feel it off. And if somebody is playing the wrong thing, um, you know, and for better or worse, that's how, how it works for me, you know. And also it's a lot of physical blocking too, um, you know, which, you know, you do so brilliantly is, you know, it's, it's all about, you know, people moving through space. So it's not just, you know, the sort of rhythm of the dialogue, it's also the, the, the the movement of the camera and where they say the lines and you know it's 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 this confluence of stuff but it isn't it, it isn't as rigid as it might sound it really is also set so that all that stuff that you want to have happen happens and i find for me I'm, it's more likely to happen that way that's all the questions thank you brian for doing this thanks Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. Don't forget, you can check out past episodes of The Director's Cut wherever you listen to podcasts. We have many great Q&As coming up in the next few weeks, so stay tuned. Also, be sure to subscribe to our podcast to stay up to date on the great discussions we have coming up. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please like, share, and leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally.